Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you here. Um, but we're, we're doing this fixer-upper thing. Let, let, me just, let me just start this way. Washington Post discussion with its readers said, let's assign gender to some just inanimate objects, some, just to pick a noun, any kind of an inanimate object and assign a gender to it. We'll have a little contest, okay? These are the winners. Swiss Army knife, guess? Male, because even though it appears useful for a wide variety of work, it spends most of its time just opening bottles. Kidneys, female, because they always go to the bathroom in pairs. Tire, male, because it goes bald and is often overinflated. That one's kind of obvious. <clears throat> Hot air balloon, male, again, of course, because in order to get it to go anywhere, you have to light a fire under it. And, of course, the hot air part. Sponges. Female, because they're soft and squeezable and retain water. I don't write them, I just read them, okay? Hammer. Male, because it hasn't evolved much over the last 5,000 years, but it's still handy to have around. Copier. Female, because once it is turned off, it takes a while to warm back up again. It is an effective reproduction device when the right buttons are pushed, but can wreak havoc when the wrong buttons are pushed. There you have it. We are uh, we're doing this series uh, about, about New Year's resolutions and how they work with the important things, okay? When Jesus was asked what the important New Year's resolutions were, okay, this is my paraphrase, he said, it's love God and love each other. The most important commandments are to love God and to love each other, period. That's just it, okay? Your financial resolutions are great. Make sure that, that you do them. Your work goals are great. Your health goals are great. But the most important things that you can do in 2017 have to do with your relationships relationships. And I said this every week, no one gets to the end of their life and starts thinking about anything but their relationships. And then on Monday, I literally stood beside the bed of a man who would pass on to Jesus an hour after I left, and I had exactly this scenario play out. He was surrounded by his family, by with a Bible, and an iPhone playing hymns on a little Bluetooth speaker, and that was what was important. Now, Jim Lagesty had accomplished a lot of work goals. He was a very successful builder in our area and businessman. Matter of fact, built our Homer Glen campus. Thank you very much. But that didn't matter on Monday. He'd made money. He'd been to exotic places. That didn't matter. Drove a nice car. He lived in a nice home. That didn't matter. The only thing that mattered on Monday was this. And the only thing that matters this afternoon when we do his wake here and, and the funeral this evening is this. Love God. I know I'm going to be with him forever. And love the people around me. And I know I'm going to be with them forever because they love God. That's how this is going to work. We want to help you with the important stuff. That's why we're here. We're going to finish out this series next week. In two weeks, on first weekend of February, I'm doing the three chairs sermon. Some of you have heard it many, many times. I do it every two years around here at least. Um, but it'll be a great way for, I want you to put it on your calendar and be here because it's a great way for you to, to get encouraged in your relationship with God, the number one commandment. You're not going to want to miss it. But for the month of January, what we're doing is we're focusing on number two. Jesus said, love you 
your neighbor as yourself. But again, the Greek word plesion means near, nearby. He's not saying just love your neighbor and don't worry about the, the people next door and don't worry about the people indoors. He's talking about the people that you're close to, love them. Second most important resolution that you could make. None of your resolutions for the new year outside of loving God could be more important as making sure that your indoor relationships are as good as they can be. If you don't fix it, if you don't, if you don't work on it, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. So that's why we're using the analogy of fixer-upper, show from television about you know, how you remodel things and make things better. And the truth is, if it's the second law of thermodynamics, things left to themselves are going to entropy, they're going to go the wrong way. Any system left to itself is going to deteriorate, not get better. And that's true of your relationships as well. Again, the dumbest sentence in human literature is, and they all lived happily ever after. That's not possible unless you work at it really hard. So by way of review, and these are all online, I really encourage you to get them and share them with the people that you love. First week was you've got to have a strong foundation because the storms are going to come. So everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, puts them into practice, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms are going to come. You've got to make sure you've got your foundation. Last week we talked about, we talked about the uh, communication system. I, uh, I had somebody come up, an electrician come up to me and said, when I left last week, I said to my wife, you've got to work on your neutral wire. And she said, you got to lower the voltage. Ba-dum-bum, bum, okay? I, here's, here's what it was, okay? Likewise, the tongue is a part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And I had a fire pit up here, and I fake poured gas on it. And I said, it was apple, actually apple juice. And I said, you can, either, you can decide what you want to do. Are you going to feed the fire with gasoline, or are you going to put it out with apple juice? Are you going to make the communication, the wiring system work? Today we're going to do the blueprint. This is really, really important because part of the reason that we have issues in our homes is because we have messed up blueprints. If you don't have the right blueprint and you don't, aren't using the same blueprint, you're not going to end up with a, with a good house. When I do a wedding, I know that the bride and groom have this going on as they're standing there. I know that, okay? She's got one and he's got the other. Right? She's got this house that she wants to do. It's, it's contemporary. It's traditional. And he's got the contemporary. And they don't match up. And the reason the early years of marriage are often so difficult is because of that. It's also the reason why we require premarital counseling for all the people who get married here. Because the more you can match up the blueprints before you get married, the easier it will be after you get married. Grandma overheard her five-year-old granddaughter playing wedding with her dolls one day and the vows went like this you have the right to remain silent (laughs) anything you say could be held against you you have the right to an attorney you may kiss the bride (laughs) whatever we can get figured out ahead of time is going to be really important okay and the other blueprint problem is that just about the time that you and your spouse start to get the same blueprint going and you get synchronized and you decide to build the same house, your kids start to get old enough to decide that they have an idea about how they want the house to be built. 
And trust me, it doesn't get any better until they get out and get their own house. That's why the indoor relationships get harder during the adolescent years. Because you and your spouse have decided you want to build a ranch, and you got a kid that wants a split level, and another kid that wants one of those little tiny houses that people live in now. And it's just hard. And I'm telling you, there's no way to remedy it. Call the Orkin man, get him out of there, build your own house. That's the only way it's going to work. Young people, let me just say this. If you're living at home, it's great. But understand, it's their house, it's their blueprint, you are not their architect. Go build your own house. Amen? Something? Come on. I gave you a chance. Come on. Let me help you to understand major issues with the blueprints. There's two things, and then we're going to talk about how we solve them. The first one is we bring unspoken rules and roles into our marriages, into our homes, into our relationships. You are two different people from two different backgrounds, okay? Different parents, different upbringing, and everything is different. Here's what Les Parrott says. He's going to be here in May for a, a marriage seminar. If you are like most couples, you will try to follow a script that was written by the role models you grew up with. And being aware of this natural tendency is often all it takes to save you from a disappointing drama. Let me give you an example for us in our marriage. Spending money, all right? Neither of us grew up with much money and uh, neither of us grew up eating out very much. And if you did eat out, you always got the cheapest thing on the menu and you didn't get a drink and you didn't get a dessert. That was just expected. A lot of you probably grew up the same way. So when we got married and started going out, we didn't have much money either, but if we were going to go out, I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to buy a Coke, you know, to go with my meal. I wanted to get dessert, and she couldn't do it. It bothered her. Whether we had the money or not, it didn't matter. It bothered her. Now, she's grown a lot in the area of spending money. (laughs) Let me just say. But, but, um... One of you is probably more thrifty than the other one, and you bring those blueprints into the marriage, and they don't match up, and it's difficult. Guy had his credit card stolen, decided not to report it because the thief was spending less than his wife. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Here's another one. Vacations, okay? Vacations. I wanted type A vacation. I'm type A. She wanted type B, or honestly, she wanted type Z vacation. She wanted a bunch of Zs. You know what I mean? So so if we went on vacation, I obviously had one thing on my mind if we were away from the kids, and I I wanted action even if the kids were there. I wanted to explore. I wanted to do fun things. I wanted things to happen. And she wanted to get up late, go have breakfast, go sit by the pool and have more Zs by the beach or or the pool or whatever. And and that was was hard for us. And I wore her out in those early years of marriage because she was like wanting to go on vacation and rest, and I wanted to go on vacation and explore. A lot of your expectations are ingrained in you by your parents also. How did you go on vacation? Did you go on vacation? How how did they do things? Like, who was supposed to grill? I don't remember real big expectations in my mind as we got married, but for my wife, the man was supposed to grill. Her dad was the griller, which was fine, except people with ADHD are terrible at grilling. Why is the grill on fire? Oh, I forgot I was mowing the yard. Is it, is it done? I can't sit there and watch meat cook. That's going to kill me. How did your parents deal with conflict, 
right? Why are, why are we yelling at each other? We must have real problems. No, I grew up Italian. I mean, uh, that's just the way we do it, okay? You see what I mean? We have different blueprints. And you've got to figure that out as you walk into this relationship. Who's going to keep the books? Who's going to be the planner? Who's going to be the driver? Who's going to be the navigator? Who's going to be the cleaner, the cook, the disciplinarian? I mean, all, all those things are things that we share together, but you probably brought blueprints with you into this relationship. And there are some basic things that, that are also built into us from a blueprint standpoint that have to do with gender, right? And I, and I know I'm going to generalize, but the Society for Neuroscience found that women's brain cells contained greater nerve cells connected together. They have larger connections between the two hemispheres of their brains. Medical fact, which, for instance, with those more connections, gives them superior verbal ability. Duh. But men's greater brain hemisphere separation, remember that, guys, you're going to need that at some point along the way. Greater, uh, honey, I'm sorry, I have greater brain hemisphere separation. It may contribute to a slight tendency towards better abstract reasoning, which is why generally men are better at navigation skills. Last service, I had a woman just audibly go, ah! I'm saying generally, okay? Generally, men have better navigation skills and are more likely to remember to check and see if the garage door is already up before they begin backing the car out. In the image of God, the Bible says, we need both of them. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female, okay? We, he, both of us represent who God is, male and female. Those are both there. We, we can't have an image of God with one of us or the other, but we are made differently. We are made to be different, okay? It takes both of us. And, and look, I know that, that this doesn't apply to everybody, and I know that we're all dealing with this gender dysphoria issue that's going on in our world today, and I realize, you know, that when we do a general discussion, a lot of you are going to go, nah, that's not the way it is in our home, okay? But I'm guessing that what I'm about to do, most of you are going to agree with. A little illustration I got from uh, some people named Bill and Pam Farrell who wrote a book called Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti, okay? Kind of men are from Mars, women are from Venus, but I think it's even better, okay? Women are like spaghetti, Everything is sort of connected here with spaghetti. Do you understand what I'm saying? Women's brains are like this, okay? And what I mean by that, I mean, you can't really tell where one of those spaghettis has started and where the other one ends. It's all just interconnected. You know, here's the kids, here's the job, here's all these different little things that women are dealing with. And this is what a woman, this is what her mind, this is how her mind works, okay? Men are like waffles. Why waffles? Uh, be, because remember, brain hemisphere separation, okay? Remember? Well, what I mean is men have little boxes in their brains, right? Everything is just a little box. So you got your job box, and you got your hobby box, and you got your wife box, and you got your kid box, and everything is a box, and none of the boxes are connected. Brain hemisphere separation. Well, watch what happens, all right? I pour syrup on a waffle, and I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to this. Do you notice that when I pour syrup on, some of the boxes stay empty? 
So ladies, when you say to your husband or your dad or your brother, what are you thinking? And he says, nothing. No syrup got in that box today. Pretty simple, right? But, but, but you're like, no, that can't possibly be true because everything is like this. And he's like, no, there's nothing in that box, pr- promise you. You see how that works? Larry Crabb said, often the failure of men and women to meet each other's emotional needs is simply due to ignorance of each other's needs and not selfishness. The problem is you're like, I can't believe you won't talk to me about this. And he's like, there's nothing in there. And you're like, I, I can't believe everything is interconnected. How do we get on this subject when we're over there? And she's like, oh, well, that's how it all works. And it's not selfishness. It's how we are designed. And again, these are generalizations, but we bring the rules and the roles and we bring these gender things all to our marriages to our homes and we're confused as to why we're not getting along better and it's a blueprint issue you with me so what do we do consult the real architect we consult the real architect what does he say how should we build the house unless the lord builds the house the builders labor in vain and here's what's amazing. Since God is the designer, he made us, he knows how we are supposed to work best. So when you study scripture, that's what this is here for. When you study it, you can start to find helpful hints on how to live in the indoor relationships that you have in your home. For example, Genesis 5, classic passage about marriage. Probably one of the most important passages about marriage and the home there is in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul starts it this way by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That might just solve everything right there. Just just know that you've got to submit to the spaghetti. You've got to submit to the waffle. It's not one to the other. It's all of us submitting our goals and dreams and, 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 and giving to the other person and letting them know that we care for them more importantly than we do ourselves. But he goes on. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's so fascinating because that was written 2,000 years ago, and now countless studies have been done by psychologists all around the world, and people are finding out 2,000 years later that a woman's greatest need, again in general, a woman's greatest need is love, and a man's greatest need is not love. It's respect. Matter of fact, I could show you countless studies where they asked men, would you rather be loved or respected, and the men every time said, I need to be respected. John Gottman, if you asked uh, people in in sociology today who is the foremost authority on marriages today, it's not a Christian person. His name is John Gottman from the University of Washington. He's written extensively, very well, great books on marriage and why they succeed and fail. And I quote, he said, we now know what makes marriages succeed or fail. It's love and respect. 2,000 years ago, what did God say? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. So husbands, what does this look like? Love your wives. Okay. That word, in case you don't know it, is agape. It's the kind of love that Jesus has for you and me. What kind of love is that? It's the kind of love that's not based on what I do or who I am or how good I am or or how valuable I am to him. It's based on the fact that he decided to love me, period, end of story. 
As a matter of fact, Paul makes that as a reference point earlier in the passage. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember, we start with submission, and then we get to husbands, love your wives. How? Like Jesus did, completely giving yourself up for her. So she needs love. She needs to know you're number one in, she's number one in your life. You're like, can I get my money back for this sermon? Come on. And how hard is this? Well, let me just ask you, how's that going for you? I mean, when's the last time? How often do you do that? Guys, me too doesn't work. When's the last time you told her? When's the last time you texted her or, or called her during the day? They need the little things. Wrote her a little note. You know, and we've, I've lived in the same house for 21 years, and every once in a while I'll, I'll run across a note that I had written to my wife, and she keeps them, which, of course, you know, it's, it's me, so there's like thousands, maybe millions of those notes. <laughs> They're everywhere. Why does she keep those? Because they mean that much to her. Okay, that, that's important to her. And I've learned that the little things mean a lot, and I'm still terrible at it, okay? There's not millions of them there. There needs to be a lot more. But the other thing that's important is for you to figure out what makes, what makes it feel like love to her. Okay? It's important, not every, not every woman needs love in the same way. There's a great book called The Five Love Languages, if you're interested in this. And it may be little notes, it may be touch, it may be you know, gifts, it may be all kinds of different things, verbally, whatever. I was out with some friends on Friday night, and it was one of the women's uh, birthday, and we were kind of celebrating that. And we got to talking about gifts, and somehow we got on to flowers. We started talking about flowers. And my wife and the birthday girl both said, yeah, flowers don't really do it for me. As a matter of fact, both of them admitted that at some point along the way during our marriages, they had told their husbands, don't waste your money on flowers. That just doesn't do anything for me. I, I don't need flowers. Don't waste your money. And the other woman said, yeah, I really like flowers. <laughs> and I never told him to stop giving me flowers. He just stopped giving me flowers. <laughs> I'm guessing that somewhere between Friday night and Sunday morning, Kevin has remedied that at this point. You've got to figure out what it is that, that it is that you want to, that she wants to know from you. What shows love to her? What, what is it? And, and, and dads, this is not just about marriage. Dads, what about your little girls? Fathers, be good to your daughters, for daughters will love like you do. That's John Mayer inspiration two weeks in a row, if you're keeping track. If you ask me, I raised three girls. If you ask me why, if you ask my three daughters why they didn't date more losers than they did, and there were a couple, I think it's because, A, they knew I would kill a loser boyfriend, and B, they already had the love of an important man in their life. They didn't need to go find it somewhere else. So don't miss that. I'm telling you, it's that important. Make her feel cherished. Make her feel valued. Make her feel known. Make her feel understood. As, as best you can understand spaghetti, make her feel understood. And, and I know the verbal skills thing is tricky. I've been talking to a lot of guys in between services. Okay, I get it. The truth is women say three times more in private than they do in public. And men say three times more in public than they do in private. So it gets really tricky. Eight-year-old Sally got a report card home from school. Grades were good. The teacher wrote a note and said, she's talking a little too much, but I have an idea I'm going to try. It may break her of her habit. Sally's dad signed the report card said, please let me know if your idea works on Sally. I'd love to try it on her mother. 
No, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. You know, we got to figure out what it is that's important to them. How do, how do we understand them and listen to them and know who they are? They need to have their feelings validated and accepted and not solved. I promise you, I did it again this week. My wife texted me about something that had gone wrong, and instead of listening to her, I immediately had a response to help solve the problem. And sometimes that's okay, but sometimes they just need to be listened to. You promised to love and to cherish. Almost, almost guaranteed, if you use the traditional vows, which I always do at all my weddings, and I know I did, you know, sickness and in health is wonderful. Richer for poorer is a great thing to say. But to love and to cherish, that's the one your wife is looking for. That's the one that she, that's her number one need. What does that look like? 1 Corinthians 13, you might have had that in your wedding if you're married. Here's a paraphrase of it. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always. Always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end. Now, ladies, as simple as the waffle box thing sounds to you, okay, or to me, um, please listen to me. Nobody has a more significant role in meeting a man's unique need as his wife. Highly recommend a book called Love and Respect. We give it to all the young married couples in our life. Love and Respect by Emerson Egerich. You can't forget the title because it's just about this. Very, very important. Guys never show this, but it's true for them. Love is great, but respect is more important. Being admired. It's his primary need. And he, he measures his life by his achievements, big and small, and it needs to be recognized. And a woman needs admiration and appreciation. That's very important, but it's rarely as strong. And I can sum it up this way. Men derive their worth more from what they do, while women derive their worth more from who they are. Okay? It's that simple. And again, I know I'm generalizing and I, I get all that, okay? Here's the problem. When women do not receive respect or admiration, they tend to be more motivated to go get it. The problem is when men don't receive it, they lose motivation to go get it. Andy Stanley summed it up like this. He said, the relationship or environment that we feel most competent in as men will capture our hearts and possibly the majority of our time and affection. Okay? In other words, if we feel competent at work, we're going to work a lot. If we feel competent with our friends, we're going to hang out a lot with them. If we feel competent at home, we will want to be there. So make your man feel competent and you'll never get rid of him. I promise you. Now, before you begin heaping words of praise on your spouse, I need to give you a word of caution. Never fake your admiration. All right? Matter of fact, let me just, let me just say this. Faking is bad, period. Meg Ryan. <clears throat> okay, I can judge the age of my congregation. Thank you. Yeah. But, but 
Here's the deal. Here's what happens if we don't have love and respect. And this is where Tim and Denise spent a lot of our early years of marriage and probably where a lot of you did too. And we bring these two blueprints in and we don't understand each other and we don't understand even the Bible, what the Bible has to say about it. And all of a sudden you end up in the crazy cycle. What is the crazy cycle? Well, the, the man responds without love to his wife, okay? Let's just blame him. Let's let things get started here. He's busy, he's uncaring, he's not interested, whatever. So what happens? She reacts by nagging or disrespecting. Number one thing that makes a man feel disrespected is nagging and nitpicking at him. And why don't you do this? Why, how come you're not doing this? And so because he's feeling, he's not reacting in love to her, she's reacting without respect to him. And what are we going to do in, in, in response? Well, something slowly dies as that comes back around, so he's going to respond without love again. He might fight back with an attack, or he might just clam up and stonewall and not talk anymore, but she's going to react without respect. He's going to react without love. And, and the more wives complain, the more husbands withdraw, and the more husbands withdraw, the more wives are going to complain, and that's how it goes. Does sound familiar to you? Okay. All of us at some point end up in the crazy cycle. Some of you came in. Some of you are watching this online right now, and you're like looking around to see if your spouse is watching this because you know you are in the crazy cycle. And, and, and you can go through decades living life like this. Some of you are thinking about your parents right now, and you're thinking, man, that's the home I grew up in. It was dysfunctional. It was miserable. So how do we fix it? How do we deal with the blueprint problem? Again, consult the architect and be like the architect. Listen, each of you, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Sounds pretty basic, like don't be selfish, put their needs in front of you, submit to one another. Paul said that already, but I want to go on and I want to read this all together, if you will, with me. Read it out loud, and I want you to see what Jesus, because not just consult the architect, it's be like the architect. Your attitude should be the same. Read this with me, I'm sorry. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Consult the architect, and then we got to be. Like the earth. If that's what Jesus did, and then if I'm the guy and I'm in the crazy cycle, I gotta go, okay, well, I'm not feeling respected, but I'm gonna show love. And if I'm the woman and I'm in the crazy cycle, I gotta, I'm not feeling love, but I'm gonna show you respect. You can't imagine how easy it is to get off the crazy cycle. It could just be one small little thing. Now, you're going to jump back into it. It's going to happen again. But when you understand this, when you understand how God designed us, this is going to work. I promise you, I'm living proof. We brought different blueprints. We brought, brought different backgrounds. We brought different problems into our relationship. And, and now, 33 years later, we get it. And as soon as we get into the crazy cycle, one of us fixes it almost immediately. 
We don't live in that thing anymore, and it's so great. And you know what else is important? Not only do you consult the architect and be like the architect, but you get to use the architect's power. You get to use God's power. His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need for life and godliness. That's what we're talking about. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. His divine power, not my divine power. I'm a believer. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I have the power, even if that person is not doing what they're supposed to do, even if they're not a believer, even if they are following a different blueprint, I can still submit. I can still love. I can still agape love them and respect them like Jesus did me, where he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, not based on anything I've done, but everything that he wanted me to experience. Mention my friend Jim. We're doing his funeral this, this afternoon here. Um, when I was there with him on Monday, you know, just a few things around the room that were important to him to have there. And one of them was this trophy. There's a picture of this trophy. So I'm like, to the family, I'm like, what's, what's the deal with the trophy? And his wife, Joyce, said, oh, he got me that trophy in 1977, 40 years ago, he got me that trophy. And I'm glad that you can't read the inscription because basically what he did is he went to a trophy store and he made, the, he made this inscription to his wife and he said, I'm just bringing you this trophy because you're so awesome. And he wrote on there, you're the most wonderful, beautiful woman and wrote all these personal things down there on the inscription and he brought her home a trophy. And I thought to myself, 40 years ago, instead of getting a trophy wife, he got a trophy for his wife. <laughs> Score. Right? And here he is on his deathbed getting ready to go home and see Jesus with his wife of I don't know how many years, well over 50 years, by his side. And everything is as it should be. What a great decision he made 40 years ago love his wife as Christ loved himself. And what a decision she's made all these years to respect her husband as she respects Jesus. Listen to the words of Lyman Coleman on the passage of his wife, Margaret. It's a place uh, some of you have been and all of us will be at some point. He said, the most painful decision of my life was asking God to take her home. She'd been suffering from repeated brain seizures and her body was wasted. And I finally whispered in her ear, honey, I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus wants you to come home. We're going to be all right. We give you permission to let go. She closed her eyes and fell asleep. But now I'm writing about it several days later. And I realize, as easy as I thought that might have been to say, the reality set in. And I realize I'm without my editor I'm without my critic, my teammate, my soulmate, my prayer mate, my partner in everything. We traveled the roads less traveled together in hard times and good times. Honey, I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. I'll keep the light on for the kids. I'll be there for our friends. And one day we're going to join you, all of us, because Jesus promised it. That's what we have to look forward to. Let's do communion together. Lord, I know that uh, I'm so thankful that I have parents that 
still together. And I know that it won't be long before they have to have this scene played out in front of them. And it may not be long before my wife and I do. And at some point, all of us are going to be in this situation. I'm going to go get my wife a trophy because I want to have something there. I, 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 I want to be in the place that I got to witness on Monday. An entire lifetime lived with the people around me that I love, that love me back, that are going to miss me when I'm gone, but that I know I'm going to be with forever. And I know that I did my best to love them like you loved me. Lord, as we take communion right now, help us to remember that if it feels hard sometimes to love and respect, to have those indoor relationships, to submit to one another, to humble ourselves and be a servant, help us to remember every week we come back to this moment where we eat this bread and we drink this cup, memorializing the fact that it cost you your life and your agonizing death on a cross to love me and respect me. And you submitted to that and you humbled yourself, even death on a cross. So it really can't be that hard for me to do that with the people that I love. Be with us as we do this in Jesus' name.